0: Welcome to the latest edition of the unnamed Leicester Tigers podcast, still without a name, but that is in fact our new name. Last week, of course, no episode due to two games and the tight turnaround. So apologies for that. This week, though, it's a fascinating listen, actually. No specific guest. It's just myself and Stuart Farmer because, one, I want to have a quick look at some of the milestones that have been reached in recent weeks for Leicester Tigers with the walking encyclopedia of the club but two also of course rugby celebrated its professionalism anniversary in recent weeks and Stuart was right at the heart of that for Leicester Tigers during that 1995 period so why not have a chat with him and see what he has to say looking back on that time as well of course as previewing this Saturday's clash with Sale Sharks at Welford Road so sit back and relax because this is a fascinating insight into one of the most fascinating times of Rugby Union and, in particular, how it set Leicester Tigers up for the success that would soon follow and carry on into the future. Can't believe and he's waiting on for that. With the Pilkington
1: Cup inside, inside it's there, it's Leicester's Pilkington Cup, and the whistle goes!
0: Stuart Farmer, I think it's our fourth conversation um, officially, so to speak. We've had others that we won't put to air for obvious reasons. But um, uh, Stuart, let's go back quickly to Sunday. That was uh-huh. a statistical match, wasn't it? I mean, I'm assuming yeah. at 36-3, you were thinking, oh, there could be a record going one way.
1: Yeah, well, ex- exactly. It's it's strange, you know, what goes through your mind. I'd rather not be looking up records for biggest ever Tigers defeats, but the journalists won't leave me alone. So, yeah, I was having text during the game from the various people saying, what's the biggest ever reversal? And you just think, oh, Lord, no, I hope this doesn't happen. And then, lo and behold, you know, we make a few little tactical switches and a different team show up almost. And I'm then looking at, wow, this could be the biggest ever comeback. You know, I got ahead of myself a little bit there, but, you know, just in case. But, of course, as I think we discussed last week, you know, Gloucester have been the victims of a couple of our, uh, well, the biggest ever club comeback and the second biggest, the equal second biggest, both against Gloucester in 2017. So, um, I thought could lightning strike three times, but in the end, no, a little, a bridge too far, but either way, it was nice. Yes. not to have, to have to look up big defeats and then switch it into something really, really positive. So again, um, yeah, you're right. I was clutching for the record books, but in, not in ways I was expecting at the start of the game.
0: <laughs> well, two more players, Stuart, made their debut on the weekend, um, Ollie Chessam and Dan Kelly. Yep. So my understanding at the moment is that we've had 11 since the restart. yeah. 29 so far this season. So that's, that's right. I want to pick your brain. What is the most we've ever had in a season? The
1: most we've ever had is, oh, I did write this down somewhere, 43.
0: Okay, so we're not getting anywhere near that this year. And that was
1: in 1923 24. Similar conversation to what we had the other week. The, yeah. We were a guest side at the time. Most of those guys only ever played one game for the club. And that was as, as a guess, so it's, it's it's a different world. I mean, interestingly, only two years ago, in seventeen eighteen season, we had thirty debuts that year. Wow! So you know we're we're close to that. I mean, we've still got six guys to join the squad. Uh, I make it from the signings. So maybe some of those were signers before this camp or will come to us before this. The end of this campaign and the start of the next, so we, we could probably get up to 35, but um, um, yeah, we're not going to beat the record, but modern day records, certainly if we get above 30, we've had nothing like that since the, since the Second World War, so no. Um, no, yeah, a lot of new blood.
0: Well, there won't be any this weekend, I can tell you that much. Oh, okay. Obviously though, 40 players have been used since we restarted the season. How many yeah. players have been used in a season? What's the most ever used in one season? By I think team?
1: we said it was about, I think the yeah. other week from memory, I think we were talking about 85. That's
0: fascinating. So it's cra-
1: crazy world in the 1930s um, you know, with, with that many different players. But I mean, like I say, in recent years, with the, the way we've used the Anglo-Welsh, Club, the Anglo-Welsh Cup in the right way to blood a lot of the academy guys coming through and a lot of promising youngsters the numbers have been swelled in the last three or four years to what they used to be. Um, but yeah, we're not going to get anywhere near that. But I think this year, because of the break and the weird situation that, you know, 1st of July, your contracts are up. So your old boys go out and your new fellas come in anyway. Uh, I yeah. think it, it, it sort of skews the numbers somewhat. But yeah, it's it is fascinating when you
0: think of it. So this weekend, it's the 98th meeting, I understand, with Sale it Sharp. Is. So that, that to me seems not small, but quite mm. small compared to some others.
1: Well, it's interesting with Sale. They are, here's a little, little bit of a quiz question for you. When, when Welford Road opened in 1892-93, there are only two of the current opponents we face in the Premiership that actually played at Welford Road that particular year. So, I'll put you out of your misery. Everybody says Northampton, but in actual fact, we didn't play Northampton that year at Welford Road. The two are actually Gloucester, which we spoke about the rich history last yes. week. The other one's Sale, huh. who visited us that particular year. So, they are a very, very old opponent of ours. We'd actually, they're one of the few sides to have played the Tigers at a home venue in Leicester other than Welford Road, because that meeting down at Welford Road in 1892, we played them two years before at the old Belgrave Cricket and Cycle Ground, and they actually visited there, and we beat them 3-1. You see? (laughs) 3-1, 3-1. One point for a try in them days, and two for the conversion. So it's one try apiece, and we kick the goal, Wow. So that made it 3-1 to beat them. And in actual fact, we played them that, those first couple of seasons. And then after that, it was very, very hit and miss, very sporadic. In fact, we didn't visit Sales till 1953 for the first time. That was only the 13th time we'd ever played them. So there was a big, big gap. And they'd never beaten us until uh, the late 50s as well. So... Yeah, we've got a long history, but it's been real hit and miss. We haven't, certainly haven't played them regularly until the 70s, really, it come, uh, come about. We kept drawing them in the cup. Um, and then they sort of got on the fixture list radar. And then when leagues started, um, we started playing them. They played, They were in the first division the very first year and got relegated and then eventually came back. And now, as we know, we play them very, very frequently. But How long have it, they so been the Sharks? Well, they went through this situation of they kept pretty much every season changing their name. There were Sale FC in the amateur days <laughs> yeah. and the early professional days. Then they became Manchester Sale for one season because everybody said nobody knows where Sale is, <laughs> and they weren't actually in Greater Manchester as such. That you know, Sale is is a fair way out from the city. So then ironically, they moved grounds to Edgley Park, which was in Stockport, Uh and dropped the Manchester bit. And for one year, listen to this, they didn't like the Manchester bit. So they even got rid of the sale bit and they just called themselves sharks, nothing else. They just said, we don't need anything else. We've now got our identity. We're at Edgley Park in Stockport. We're now sharks. Well, that lasted one season. (laughs) And now, (laughs) since... Since I don't know about two thousand and three, four maybe they are now sale sharks. So they've gone through quite a lot of um, changes in emphasis, changes in marketing, changes of venue, of course, because they're now at the AJ Bell. Yes, uh, in Salford. So they've been moving around the place. What Haywood Road, the old Haywood Road that I've been to many, many times, still exists, and the eighth, the, the second team play up there. They, yes, and they play a lot of games up there. And, and interestingly, I mean, we were talking about hostile venues last week, and Kingsholm is way up there. Yeah. But I obviously, I always thought when I used to go up to Sale regularly that 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 ground was more intimidating uh, than any other. I thought wow. there was a lot of uh, a lot of vocality on the on the terrace. It's not such big a crowds as down at Gloucester, but my God, were they vehement and very very one-eyed and. Uh, We've been up there a few times and, and got, got the better of them, perhaps not deservedly. So I remember knocking them out of the cup in the mid-90s with Stuart Potter running in a try, um, eight minutes of injury time and last play of the game and we were out. We, we weren't in the game really. We managed to beat them 14-12, knock them out of the cup at the quarter final stage. They weren't happy with that. I remember a 20-all draw, last game of the season, round 22 in the Premiership nineteen ninety seven ish, I think, where the big thing was it was for fourth place in the league. And you see, well, so what what's what's the, what's big about fourth place? Well in those days it was qualification for the following year's Heineken. Yes. And whoever won that game as a head to head up at Haywood Road would take it and it was Leicester Sale and we drew twenty all. So we we're all looking at our shoulders thinking, well what happens now then? And actually Leicester managed to shade it. I think it was a number of tries scored but Phil Wynn-Stanley, the old manager, uh, the now manager of apprenticeship rugby on the rugby side of things, and yes. was in the front row that day for Sale, still protests the innocence of the entire Sale front row and the 79th minute that day when the referee blew against them for a, a collapsed scrum right in front of the post and Joel Stransky whacked the points over to make it tie 20-all. So, um, yeah, we've got some good meetings in the past.
0: Tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to test you on this one. I think Dosser Smith played his last game for Tigers at Haywood Road. Woo. You can Dosser. go and find that one out. I think he did. I, think he, Gino, covered, I'm not I necessarily... think he covered for Neil back one day in a game when Neil was meant to be playing. Yeah. Find out. I'm telling you, that's a fact. Okay.
1: All right. okay. I'll leave that okay. one
0: with you. If not, Dosser's lied to me. Um,
1: <laughs> no, 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 Doster will be right. He's, <laughs> he's got this encyclopedic knowledge.
0: Yes, no, he yes. is the walking history book, isn't he? And he really is. We had another, obviously, a milestone that we've already had this season we had on the weekend. Tom Smith. Yeah. Now, I am yeah. going to publicly call you out here because you had a hiccup, didn't you, midweek? With Tom I Smith. did.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're going to own that mistake. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I wish I could retract tweets. So, yeah, it was, that, that was a, a real oversight. I found that, you know, the team was announced on, Saturday, on the Friday and I looked at it and, and thought, oh, yeah, he's going to be a really, really young captain. So I'd worked out how old specifically he was going to be on Sunday, looked at my own reports on the computer screen and just completely misread it. So I, I thought he'd be in first place. In actual fact, he was in third. So so who's, ahead who's,
0: ahead who's ahead of him? Sorry, who's ahead of him?
1: In terms of the premiership, it yeah. was James Haskell, is the youngest ever captain, and the second youngest. Uh, I forget. We can check it. It's not an issue as long as it's not a Tigers player. But he, no, he dropped into third place, not first, uh, but youngest Tiger. Yes, taking that off Ben White from like the previous week. Two, weeks,
0: two matches, one week ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, who, else
0: has, who else has had that record previously?
1: Well, okay. I mean, forgetting just the premiership, in yeah. the whole history of the club, the 140-odd yeah. years history of the club, Ben White is the youngest captain. Yes. We've only ever had two 20-year-old captains of the first team. Ben White's won Tom Smith's the second one. Wow. So prior to that, in the whole history of the club, the youngest captain was Chris Johnson, who was an England a player in the early 90s. And Chris um, spent a bit of time with us, quite a bit of time with us, went to Northampton eventually. Shame about that. Yeah, that's uh, But he was a very, very good player. But he led the team out for when we used to play the universities, Oxford and Cambridge in the 90s. And he played in those games. In recent years, we've had uh, Matt Cornwell was only 21 when he skipped the team in 2006 now of course up with cocky at Edinburgh he's his, his team manager so yeah, yeah. Matt Matt was only 21 and again uh, slightly older than that recently Harry Thacker was yeah. only 22 in 2016 when he led the team Don Barrow was 23 when he led the team a year later and Ben Pinar in 2010 was 24 but it's it's unusual to have anybody that's 25, 26 or younger. To have somebody that's only 20, that's six years younger than that, is, is astonishing, really, when you think yeah. of that. Um, so, yeah, quite remarkable. And he's not going to forget that one in Orie because uh, it was one hell of a game.
0: No, and he, play, he played very well, Tom. Um, sure did. Speaking of age, we've had some pretty young teams in recent weeks. I know everyone's yeah. had their, their thoughts on selection and I'm um, mm-hmm. going to stay impartial on it. But I think a couple of weeks ago was the youngest we had against Bath. I think that was yes. around, the starting 15, that was around average age of 23.
1: Yeah, it's uh, 24.2 actually, if I want to be absolute precise yeah. about it, for the Bath, the Bath game. And then the Irish game... Um, I think it was the Irish game. After that, um, was just slightly older. We just yeah. switched around the personnel. Side. Well, of course, everybody was two weeks old. We even had to pick the same team. Yeah. Well. But either way, either way, yeah, that's not the youngest ever. The game against Bath. It's not the youngest ever Tigers Premiership team. Yeah. That was against Leeds um, when the 2003 World Cup was going on. Uh, so, we bloodied a lot of young lads there. That was in October 03. And they were, it was slightly younger, 23 and a, and a bit, you know, so uh, slightly younger. And in terms of where it sits in terms of the Premiership, across the whole of the Premiership, then this game against Bath is probably about 15th, 16th on the all time youngest ever starting lineups in the Premiership. But it was the youngest by anybody since 2011. Um, on Sunday, in Costa. On, on wow. the game against Bath.
0: Oh, sorry, Bath, yes. yes. The game
1: against Bath. Um, and that was uh, Sale who had that record in October 2011. Again, World Cup time, so, you know, they're going to um, rest, even though you think Sale couldn't have had that many World Cup players in 2011, but either way, um, they put out a very young side in that month. So we're well up there, yeah, so, you, you know, your deductions are correct there very young team. Um, and they'll learn a lot. They'll learn a hell of a lot from those experiences.
0: Now, most of them, let's talk 23s, 24s. I'm going to throw you a spot fire question here. (laughs) Most of them were not born when the game went professional, which was the anniversary of last week. Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
1: I want to talk to you about
0: a story you shared. Someone Uh, reshared online. Yes. Your moment when you were told rugby was professional.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was quite a staggering epoch-making time for the sport. Of course it was. So to, to put that into context, um, we're looking at 1997 here, and specifically the 27th of August. And I, I, I stress 27th because the press have been putting out recently that, that rugby turned pro on the 26th. Uh-huh. Not true. It did not. So your, your newspapers are incorrect. Um, I'm, no, never,
0: surely I'm not, surely <laughs> not. They could never um, be incorrect. The newspapers don't yeah, say it. Um,
1: the world. I, is I did have my doubts because I did this interview a little while ago with somebody for a a, a new a, a magazine called the Rugby Journal, and part of the interview we must have touched on this. Uh, about when the game turned pro. And and on that, the 27th of August, 1995, it was a Sunday. And I just remember sitting at home, Sunday lunch, having Sunday lunch with my wife, and we had the radio on. And I just remember the BBC coming online and saying, oh, and a a, a bit of news story here, the game of rugby has gone open. And we looked at each other and said, oh, what does that mean? They didn't use the word professional, they just said gone open. And we thought, whoa, I don't really understand this. So no internet, 1995, there's absolutely no way you can find out about that. So we're busy reading through all the papers. I hadn't had a chance to read that morning. And they're all saying they're expecting the game to turn professional that day. This is what they were saying in the Sunday Times that particular day. Uh, Because... The the IRB, as they were then called in those days, now World Rugby, had got together and said they have to make the game more honest, make it more open and do that. So, um, So we'd heard this over Sunday lunch and about 20 minutes later or so, my phone rings at home and it's Peter Wheeler. Now at the time, of course, we're an amateur club. Peter Wheeler is basically... On the general committee, and quite an important man in the general committee, they're all basically, what, 15 ex-players that were sort of guiding the guys through the amateur days, and Peter, quite an important and influential man there, running uh, Pagin, uh, not Moy. That's a, that's a travel agent, uh, P&G Bland, the insurance brokers um, at the time, very important. And he rang and he said have you heard what I've just heard? He said, the game of rugby has gone open. And this is Peter Wheeler. Very, very, what does that mean for us? And I said, well, I think it means we've gone professional. And he said, well, we haven't got any money. He said, the season starts in three weeks time. (laughs) Uh, Well, less than three, it's two weeks time. He said, and we've, sold everything around the ground based on the amateur days, like anything perimeter advertising. You could buy one for 20 quid for the season, you know, program advertising. We weren't interested in making a profit. The whole idea of getting some revenue from programs and from perimeter advertising was that we could plough that money back into the infrastructure, improve the stadium, improve the safety, because we couldn't pay players even if we wanted to. So he just said, well, I don't know how we're going to do that. So that was the phone call that that came in. And then in the next week or so, immediately we'd had the Tigers' ranks had been raided by John Hall up at Newcastle. And he'd bought Tony Underwood off us. (laughs) And Wasps were even worse because they'd got Rob Andrew and Dean Ryan had both been signed up as well. So overnight, these guys trekked north up to the Falcons and we'd lost them. And I think at that time, you know, Peter Wheeler was obviously very, very concerned and thought, well, how the hell can we stop this happening? So another guy that was not, I don't think he was on the general committee, but he was very close to everybody. was Peter Tom. Yes. Peter, as we all know, extremely successful businessman. um, Very, very shrewd. And the two Peters, um, called a meeting together at Welford Road in the old Barbarian's room, I think it was, uh, up there in the clubhouse. Yes. yes. And all the squad were included, amateur days again, you know, so I don't know, they all got time off during the week, but they did to come to this (laughs) very, very important meeting. And uh, I came along because at the time I was the media officer. And um, basically Peter Tom stood up at the front and said, you all know what's happening in the sport of rugby. You all now think you're going to be getting mega books overnight. Um, we've lost Tony Underwood to Newcastle. He said, I just want to ensure we don't lose anybody else from these this special squad we've got in, in this room today. So he said, I'll be brutally frank with you. We've sold all the advertising. We've sold all the season tickets already for the new season. And it's based upon the amateur days that we weren't going to have to pay you guys. So he said, I'm asking for your loyalty for 12 months. He said, I'm asking for you guys in this room. Will you bear with us? I will do all I can to cover your expenses for this year. We will try and do all we can commercially to make you make a bit more money. For what you do you're not going to earn loads Uh you're just going to earn a bit of money that you didn't weren't expecting (laughs) and he said this time next year i promise you we'll be on a proper commercial footing and we'll offer you proper contracts and i'm asking for you now can we have a show of hands for those of people that are prepared to stay at tigers and not give me their guarantee they will not go anywhere else in the next 12 months And every single player in that room put their hand up. And I think from that point, that's really what melded everything together at Tigers and built that superstar team that that took the world on and beat everybody five years later. And it was just this really clever masterstroke. And Peter Tom, to his word, carried it out and did everything that he said he would do for the guys and in the room that day was obviously Jono and Graham Roundtree, Dan yeah. Garth, Firth, Neil Back, you know, the guys that were good, but were going to become superstars.
0: Yeah, I'm having a look at that now in your
1: book. Oh, right, okay. But it,
0: I was just having a look through that. And it, it was quite a tumultuous season, so to speak, wasn't it? Because you had that in August. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. at, the, at that time, tell me if I'm wrong, but we are the league holders. We won the league
1: 94-95. The last amateur
0: season, yeah. Yeah, so 95-96, 90, uh, Tony Russ is in charge. Then that he shifts is. over mid-season and Dosser Smith takes over. Dosser, yeah, know. Dosser
1: and Paul and Dosser Dodgy.
0: Dodgy, sorry, yeah. And then they lose the cup final to Bath. Don't win the league. As you say, Tony Underwood, one of the, the greats, yeah. leaves, unfortunately. And then you think... You look through that squad and you go, oh, gosh, you know, Neil Bark, Richard Cockrell, yeah. uh, Garforth, Grewcock, Hackney, Hamilton, Harris, list goes on. Johnson, Johnson, yeah, yeah. Cardoony, like, keep going as long as you want. But it, things could have been very different for Leicester Tigers had that wow. meeting not gone the way it did.
1: Oh, God, yeah, yeah, definitely. De- definitely. That was such a... <sighs> Blue touch paper moment. It really, really was in the history of the club. Um, That that set the stall out for the next few years, undoubtedly. And then, you know, bringing Bob Dwyer on board the following year, which wasn't a popular um, choice by any means. But Bob, I had a lot of time for Bob, actually. I worked very closely with him. And uh, um, he had an almost impossible job because it was his job to come in and be a bit ruthless and get rid of, we had a huge playing squad, like 40 odd guys. You couldn't pay them all. And um, so he had to have the very difficult task of getting rid of some of the guys. And those guys were not happy that because in the amateur days, you know, it was once you'd got in you, your feet under the table at tide, you could stay there and then perhaps go on to the general committee if you had ambitions of that. But of course, if you still had some uh, rugby in your bones, then, uh, that wasn't the case. And certainly Rory Underwood uh, was let go and he went to Bedford and um, Dean Richards was about to go. And, and I think he, I think he'd signed for Norwich of all teams, you know, way, way down the leagues wow. to actually be there as a sort of player coach to learn the ropes. And a lot of the old stages um, eventually left. John Liley uh, left and Steve Hackney left and Niall Malone and all of these fellas. Um, but then Bob brought in some of the new guys, Jordan being one of those new guys that came in on board, you know, and, and Ben Kay a bit later, and Austin Ely, and, and those sort of guys. And um, I'm not actually, I don't think Bob brought in Austin Ely, but that's another story. But either way, yeah, it's, it was tumultuous times. And, and I think you're absolutely right that if, if Peter Tom and Peter Wheeler hadn't had that vision to just try and get us over that sticky patch and drive it forward. Um, we wouldn't have been as well placed for the professional era as what we were. And in fact, you know, you've only got to look at a lot of the other clubs and, and, and some of them are still not really recovered. Bath didn't really recover from that zenith of, you know, 10 cup final victories in 10 attempts. Um, and they didn't really, I, I don't, I think if you'd have said to the, the Bath guys, that last ever amateur a cup final down at Twickenham when they beat us. If you'd have said to a Bath guy, a Bath fan on that day, I'm from the future, I'm a time traveller. Savour this moment because you're never, ever going to win the cup again. Mm. Having having been to the final 10 times in the last, what, 14 years and won 10, they would have said, what are you on, boy? You know, this is just... just, But that's actually what happened. And And it's hard to believe, but... um, the That's one for me is I pick out...
0: You look here and you go, well, so 93-94, they play 35 games. 94-95, they play 32 games. Yeah. 95-96, so the season, so to speak, they play 37. Then you come okay. into the professional yeah. season. The first professional season, yeah. 46 games. Now, yeah. I'm sure that was probably the biggest wake-up call to people thinking, well, you better be bloody
1: paying us if we're doing that. Correct. That That season was just... Well, crazy, because I think, like everyone else, we thought, to enable us to pay wages, we've just got to play as many games as we can. Wrongly, that was the original thought. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. 46 games, there was was a fledgling European Cup, there was the league home and away, there was an Anglo-Welsh competition that never finished. It restarted it, but it just petered out. Nobody ever... We never got to any kind of final, it just stopped halfway <laughs> through the season, there was still the cup going on, we were still yeah. playing club friendlies yeah. against the likes of Loughborough and yes. Cambridge and Oxford and all of these guys, we'd still got the Barbarians game in there, and it, but something had to give and, and in the end I think they realised that the, the situation with professionalism was, was rather quality and not quantity. Mm. and it was just unsustainable and that first season was absolute crackers because we're all talking about midweek games now but you you worked that one out to play 46 games you got to play midweeks yeah and we were playing loads of games on you know wednesday saturday wednesday saturday wednesday saturday all the way through and it was tough um, we had a big ish squad um, but uh, yeah that was the sport finding its feet Yeah. And gradually settling down. I think the following year was far more sensible in terms of number of games from memory. Late 30s, possibly, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, I think uh, 40 games, wasn't it?
1: Okay. Because that was Geordie's first
0: season. Yes. Um, Well, I mean, that first professional season, talk about three additions. you got Stransky, Healy and Moody. So... Yes. Three blokes that were
1: pretty handy. Um, Well, Stransky, of course... Major milestone signing because he's the first ever big, big, big overseas name Tigers signed ever. And you couldn't get much bigger than the World Cup winner in 1995 that actually kicked the drop goal that won it for the box. And uh, yeah, to get that particular signing was massive for the club. It really made a statement of intentions about this is the Tigers. We, We were... Good in the amateur days, we're going to be brilliant in the professional days, and this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're going to build it around. Unfortunately, you know, Stransky's knee gave out, yeah, in the end, and he had to pack up too soon. But it wasn't, but he still had time to impart that knowledge onto the team, that experience, and he, of course, he coached us for and a season or two as well. So uh, that helped, and and uh, yeah, massive, massive signing. Healy will tell you he was the biggest signing there's ever been. Of course been. he will. Of course he will. Uh, you know, and who are we who are we to argue with that one apart from Ben Kay? But uh, yeah. but either way, um, he was a big signing. He Healy. Uh, he's not listening to this, so we I can, no, I I can be fine. sort of um, be that way with, with him. He was a, He was a big signing. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, it was um, it was those days that um, shaped what we were to become, and, and we will get back then. I'm pretty sure of it. Really sure of it. That's, That's the ambition.
0: Certainly the plan, isn't it? It takes us nicely, though, because obviously that year we win the Pilkington Cup against Sale.
1: And oh, what a terrible final that was. Yeah, but at least off we're on the right final. side of it. Jeez. But yeah. it takes
0: us into this weekend, doesn't it? So you look at this weekend and obviously, as I said earlier, 98th meeting of the clubs. We do have a 67 to 25 record. Couple of draws. Yeah. Um, what I found really fascinating, and I'm, not necessarily trying to pile the pressure on, but the record at Welford Road is fascinating. So yeah. 55 games at Welford Road against Sale, and we've won 48 of them.
1: Yeah. They couldn't win there for years and years and years. I think the first ever victory at Welford Road was um, 73, something like that. And, of course, um, I think they'd won probably on their, their last visit, but frequently anyway. You know, They only won six. In the whole history. I think pretty much five of those six have been in the last 20 years hmm. um, when they've come, I think. Something, something off the order. So, yeah, they've, they've been a, a tougher uh, team to beat. And I think they are favourites, undoubtedly, for the, for the meeting this weekend because they've got a lot to gun for. They've got a big team. So, Tigers are underdogs. Um, for that particular game I, I, no doubt about that, but um, we 'll just have to see see what happens, but you 're right they 've not won there too frequently and don 't really want them to add another one to the uh, to their win column no no certainly um, not so
0: i mean other than all we 've talked about, which has been fascinating the only one to uh, i mean and we 'll talk more about it when it does arrive, but one for the Purists out there to look forward to is I know everyone's talking about Ben Young's hundredth test, but there's mm. some two milestones approaching for Ben Youngs at Leicester Tigers, isn't there? So yeah, there, yeah, there
1: is. He's he's going to make um, his two hundred and two hundred and fiftieth appearance for the first team at some stage in the next few weeks, and uh, that's going to be hot on the heels of um, a two hundredth start um, in. I think they've all been in the nine shirt. I don't recall him starting on the wing. I'll have to have a look at that one. I think they've all been at scrum half, I think, but of course we all know he, he's fast enough to have played on the wing. There's no two ways about that. Played a little bit Um, of 10-2 growing up as well, didn't he? So yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So maybe, maybe, but either way, but yeah, there's two significant milestones there and, and, uh, there aren't many brothers in the, uh, in the history. of The club who have both managed to get to uh, 200 games and, and those kinds Tom's of things. Not you not far know, away, is is starts.
0: It. Tom's eight, sorry? eight or nine games away as well. Tom, isn't he? From the
1: 200 games. So Yeah, not very far at all. So it's, um, yeah, they're a hell of a double act, those two. And of course, you know, for those of you that are a little bit older, they can, can remember the dad. Yeah, yes. Nick was a special player as well at Scrum Half for, for the club. Um, and for England, uh, on occasion, and one of the first real physical, really, really physical scrum halves. was back um, rower. Yeah, he was like yeah, he was like a ninth forward in a way in, in his yes. day, and you know, really solidly and solidly set, quick, um, off off, uh, you know, being able to run off five meters and whatever. And his pass was really, really good, but just a really, really strong a strong player. So Ben's got that strength, but he's got also that speed. So I think, I think Tom's more or less got the build of Nick pretty much. Um, And, and Ben's a bit more wiry and, and and as the modern scrum are, but either way you can tell they're a chip off the old block, the pair of them, you know, so uh, Nick was a, Nick was a special player too.
0: But we are realistically looking at a family there that will have made more than 500 appearances. The one club
1: yeah for sure yeah we are we are fascinating and the, the, you know there's not too many uh, of, uh, other families that, that can claim claim that sort of thing I mean actually you know Matt Smith and, and Dossil they'd probably add, add them together they'd probably got more appearances between them but either way there's only two of them uh, not yeah, wishing de- to decry that but uh, you know a father and two sons is uh, there aren't too many of about them. you know with uh, uh, looking back at the history, I'm just testing my own periods of memory now. You know, Troy Thacker and his two boys, Charlie and uh, yes, Harry, yes. of course. But of course, none of them made anywhere near the number of appearances. But the father and two sons is a rare one. And then you got uh, one
0: bloke, David Matthews, who? one on his five own, five, yeah, five, five,
1: five hundred oh, two, yeah. yeah. And the Tuilangi dynasty, yes, with six of them, you know, adding up a fair few appearances between. And of course, well, I don't want to speak about it because Manu in the opposite camp. This weekend, And of course, not having a Tui langi in the Tigers camp is, is a rarity since Freddie joined us in the early days of professionalism. And um, that's that, that, that's pretty rare. But, um, you know, we haven't had too many Tui Langis playing against us at Walford Road. Um, I can certainly remember Henry playing for Perpignan in the European Cup. Yes. And, and I think, I think I'm writing saying that Andy... The, the, the another one of the brothers. He was on the wing for sale. Yes. Uh, yes. Against Manu, uh, when he was playing for Leicester in about 06 as well. So there were there were three of them at that particular time. But it's a rare beast. And uh, well, that's if Manu plays. I think he, I think he'll have to because he's got to, He's got to earn his money somehow. And Steve Diamond's a hard taskmaster, so <laughs> he won't sign his cheque unless he turns out. Yeah. So either um, no, way. Anyway, do- It'll be, it'll be interesting in its own way. and.
0: Um... Well, that's your homework. That's your homework. Go and find out when the two Languys have played against us at Wilford Road. Well, there you go. 2006, I'm
1: pretty sure, mate. But anyway, there you go.
0: And then the one we'll look at, of course, in the coming weeks, we might even get him on to have a chat with us, is go through those 250 games with Ben because it's a... Uh, yeah. It's a hell of an achievement for a bloke who's also played 100 tests in that time and, yeah, yeah. and won, the, uh, yeah. won all his one and done all his... I think he scored 200 points as well for the club. We forget his famous South African mm. exploits that night against the Springboks, don't we, sometimes? so
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, touch wood. You know, to play that volume of top-class rugby, he's been pretty injury-free. And I've got to... Talk, I'm not kiss-a-death there. That, you know, he has been really, really good and, and nearly always fit. And uh, you're absolutely right. To play 99 test matches for your country. Too um, long. And he's played for the Lions. So yeah. he's actually played 100 if you want to take 100 proper test matches into case. And then to pile on all these extra games for ourselves, you know. And uh, that's right. Played since he played
0: was... in the A-League, pre-season friendlies, uh, yeah. academy yeah, he
1: didn't play a lot in the academy and he didn't play a lot in the A-League for the simple reason he was in the first team at 17. Yes.
0: Well, that's true, isn't it? Yes, he has been. Uh, but
1: either way, yeah, yes. to play so much top-level rugby in the modern game uh, is is quite an achievement and he's not done yet. Well, he's only 30, isn't
0: he? So I think he's 31 yeah. this weekend, actually, on match day. So um, Oh, OK.
1: So for a 31-year-old, he's
0: had more than 350 professional rugby games. It's... um.
1: Oh, I shall have to look at people who have scored tries on their birthday then if he goes and runs one in.
0: Let's hope he runs more than one in. Well, indeed. Let's hope they all run more than one in and we have 30 <laughs> plus tries. Uh, Stuart, as always, mate, a pleasure. And I'll speak to you next week ahead of, well, post a midweek game against the old rival Wasps oh, and ahead yeah. of the big rivalry, Northampton, which a derby oh, day from home for you this year.
1: Well, they don't get any easier.
0: No, you might have to lob some stuff over the fence if you have any Saints fans <laughs> in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's all right. We'll, we'll just go and have back-to-back wins next weekend. That'll be perfect. Oh, wonderful. Lovely, Stuart. Okay, then. Have a good weekend.